you know, get in the gym extra with them, all those things to try to get their confidence back. It's not really going to matter if they don't trust them. Welcome to Hoop Nerds with Billy Kegler, presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. We talk to coaches, athletes, and more to learn from their stories and apply learning lessons to improve each individual and stimulate growth for your program, team, staff, and self. Follow along as we explore success and failure en route to improving the game of basketball. Before we jump in today, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. I've been associated with their products for a few years now, and I'm really impressed by their innovative and user-friendly shooting machines. They also are great people with tremendous customer service. It's no wonder why they have become the preferred choice among top programs around the country and world. I'm very grateful for their support of the show. Make sure to check them out at drdishbasketball.com and at Dr. Dish B-Ball on social media. Be sure to mention WBCA when ordering your next Dr. Dish to save an extra $300 off any commercial purchase. Coach Merritt, welcome to the Hoop Nerds podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. After a long road trip last night, I'm going to get you after some fresh sleep. Let's test your memory here. Let's go back in time. Tell me about the first time you coached something and what you remember from that that has stuck with you through your years of coaching. So the first time I coached, it was actually an AAU team. I was still playing at this point. So this had to be 2007, 2008, maybe 2009, somewhere in there. Um, and it was, uh, there were sixth and seventh graders out of the Brookfield area, uh, right outside of Milwaukee. And to be honest, they weren't very good. Uh, so we got them in the gym and we just, we got after it. And they got tougher over the course of the summer. And it was, it was, uh, it was great to see some of those kids turn the corner mentally and physically. Uh, and I honestly still keep in contact with some of those kids today. And not a lot of them went on to play college basketball. It wasn't that type of crew, but they were good kids. We had a lot of fun over the course of the summer. And they just got better at basketball and enjoyed being around each other and just getting that brotherhood and camaraderie that happens when you guys play together for a while. You mentioned you were still playing when you did that and playing overseas during that period of your life. What made you want to get into coaching? You know, it, it took a while for me to honestly want to do that. I know I always wanted to be, uh, when I was done, to be uh, still associated with the game of basketball. And once I figured, let's give this uh, AAU a try and see if I actually like coaching. And uh, it was the next best thing. If I can't play, you're around the game, you're, you're involved in the game. Obviously, you can't really have an impact on the game like you would want to. But in my mind, it's the next best thing for those competitive juices and, and still being around the game of basketball. All right. So then tell me about how you got into the college game, specifically on the women's side of things. Honestly, I got really lucky. I got very, very lucky. I was, uh, I just retired and I was trying to get into coaching at the college level, either men or women, right? It didn't matter to me. I wanted to be at the collegiate level. And my first boss, Carolyn Keeger at the Marquette University, um, just got the job. So it just worked out, you know, knowing the right person because we were at Marquette at the same time. I was two years older than she was, but we crossed over. So we had a relationship and I reached out to her like, hey, I'm trying to get into the college game any suggestions, how can I help, you know, anyone you can connect me with. And she was like, hey, would you be interested in, you know, coach? She thought I just wanted to coach on the men's side. And she had no clue I was open for whatever. And um, she asked me, you know, we interviewed a couple of times, had me work out a grad assistant, and it, and it worked out. So uh, three championships later, five great years together. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, so you learned a lot at your time at Marquette, you know, as a player and a, and a coach. So I'm curious about in a coaching idea or theory that you maybe had really early in your career, right? 
that you later changed your mind about because you were presented new information and you were taught something new? That That's hard because I think basketball is the same. You know, the lessons are the same. You know, when kids get to the college level, you're trying to win games and you're there to play basketball, but you're trying to prepare them for life. So I think the biggest thing is, are you getting them mentally tougher? Are you getting them physically tougher and emotionally tougher and preparing them to, to conquer whatever they do once they leave the campus? You know, whether they're playing professional basketball or going into the business world, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, whatever that may be. Uh, and I think that's the lesson that I learned from my college coach and what I appreciate the most. Now, the thing that's different is obviously the times are different. The generation is different. So you have to adapt the way you're teaching. And how they teach and learn is not necessarily how people of my generation um, were able to learn. So it's, you really have to adapt to these kids nowadays. They're, um, they're different, right? They, things, they have so much more going on than we did, right? They have so much access to social media and different things and what's important to them. So you really, really have to be aware of the type of kids you're bringing in and what you're teaching them and how they learn. Because that's a huge factor because they learn a lot different than we did back in my generation. So can you share with me a success story of a player that you had that, you know, you taught these lessons of resiliency, these mental toughness to, and then they went on to do something great outside of basketball? Let me see. Coach so many kids. Um, Make you go through your Rolodex of all the kids real quick. Yeah. One of the kids I'm most proud of is Izzy Spingola. She's uh, currently a grad assistant at the University of Illinois. And she was just, she came in as an extremely hard worker. Um, so she always had some sort of toughness to her. Um, and early on in her career, at Marquette early on in her career, she didn't, she didn't see a ton of playing time, right? But she stayed with it, stayed with it. And by her junior senior, she won three championships by her senior year. She was a starter, one of the most improved players in the conference, went on to play professional basketball. Um, and now she's getting into the coaching and she's just been extremely successful in it. And she has some hard times when you're, when you're on the bench and you're not playing, but you keep working. Right. You stay with it. You stay the course. You stay the course and you see it through. And um, ultimately, those lessons help you get through and have success, um, whatever's next in life. But there, there are so many kids, so many kids that struggled early on as well. You know, adjusting to college um, can be tough. Academically, you got all this stuff thrown at you and, and trying to navigate through that as an 18 year old is is a challenge. So now off the court, what's something that you like to do with your teams that makes a positive impact for them to make that adjustment. You know, as you just listed, they're kind of in this area of unknown. And so they have to then become comfortable. What's something that you do to help them navigate that? I think it's just simple as going to get coffee with the kid, taking them out to breakfast, just showing them that you care outside of basketball court, you know, establishing that a relationship. Hey, they can trust you. You can talk to me. If you need anything, let me know. I'm there for you and making them get comfortable with you as a coach. Um, not just, you know, the whole coaching staff. So it has to be an open door policy because if they only see you at practice and only know you as, as you know, hey, let's do this drill. You know, you got to you got to cut harder, that sort of thing. No, then it's you're not going to get everything you want out of that kid. But when they trust you and feel like they can come to you with anything, now they'll run through a wall for you. All right. Let's talk about hoops a little bit now. And the, the women's game intrigues me because post play is still prevalent in the women's game. And as an undersized, unathletic player in my day, had to use, you know, the footwork tricks and skills. So I'm curious, when you're talking about footwork with your teams in the post, what's the most important thing that you teach to them and how you teach position and how to gain the position that they want? Me personally, I always, it's the battle of the feet, right? The post, post play is won and lost with the feet. And obviously having size helps, but, but there's a lot of undersized post players that have great footwork that are extremely successful. When you do your work early, 
right? You want to be the initiator of contact. I got to hit you first. If I want position, I got to hit you first. If the defense initiates contact, I'm not going to get to the spot I want to be and just just playing low. And it, it sounds simple, but it's extremely hard for young kids to come in and play low, you know, drop those hips and play low and, and get those arms out. But you just, you just have to be willing to work and get stronger. And, and a lot of that comes with strength and conditioning. As you get stronger and your lower body gets stronger, now you're able to play lower. All that helps. But my biggest thing is winning the battle of the feet, you know, and whether you're drop stepping, whether you're making a hook shot, it's all the same thing. How much space are you taking up in the post? Are you going somewhere with your dribble? You know, this much space, you know, a foot makes a huge difference, right, in, in post play because there's such there's very little room for error. So you want to get as close to the rim as you possibly can and sealing defenders and just really, really playing wide with your feet. All right, let's go inside one of your practices then when you're working on footwork with your players. Walk us through a drill that you're working on with them to help them improve that footwork and understand what it takes to win the battle of the feet. I think we break it down just as simply as right in front of the rim, catching, right, turning, drop stepping, or we call it quick spin, where you just spin off quick and just utilizing the footwork and getting comfortable doing it. And it's not easy, right, because if you haven't done it, uh, and then when you get, get to college, all of a sudden, this is someone's teaching you something new. It takes a while. It's not going to happen overnight. So these are things that you have to do almost daily um, for a couple of years for kids to get really, really comfortable and confident doing them. Um, but we break drills down every day, even just catching with two hands, right? Catch the ball and keep it up high, checking for the defense. We do that almost daily just to make sure like, we got to catch the ball first. You can't make a move if you don't have the ball um, just with two hands and, and you know, rebounding with two hands, those sort of things we really, really harp on every day. All right, so you just hit on something, catch the ball with two hands, check for the defense. So are you teaching specifically to catch with two hands, get your back to the baseline so you can see the court? Or what's the teaching process there to be able to check for the defense? Well, when you initially catch, if your back is to the baseline and you're posting up, I would check to the middle, right? Because if you check to the uh, sideline, there's really only one defender there. So you want to be able to see the floor, see the help side defense. Are they helping in? Are they doubling? Now I can see and go into my move. Um, and even depending on the player and their skill set, right, we'll, we'll teach the face up as well. So you have that opportunity if you're a little bit uh, quicker off the bounce, more skilled, right, we'll get you into some face up stuff. Now you can see the whole floor, you can shoot, you can rip and go by, do those sort of things. But we want our kids to be versatile. And I'm a huge, huge fan of facing up in the post because I think you now as a defender, I can't touch you. So if I face up and quick rip, it's almost unguardable if you have that ability and that skill set because you can't touch me. So I'm either going to get to my spot or if your hand is out and you're going to body me and I'm going to get a foul. So I'm a huge, huge advocate for facing up in the post. As many listeners know, I spent over six years as a general manager at Just the Game Fieldhouse in Wisconsin Dells. I was able to spend time talking hoops with coaches like Tom Izzo, along with high school and youth coaches, in addition to meeting some basketball legends, including my childhood favorite, Sam Elke, who is in the WBCA Hall of Fame and High School Basketball Museum, located at Just the Game Fieldhouse, which is a must-visit for any true hoop nerd. They also play host to the WBCA All-Star Games and Coaches Clinic every year. Just a Game hosts over 70 basketball and volleyball tournaments annually and is a great place to play for teams of all ages and ability levels. You can't beat all Wisconsin Dells has to offer in your free time. The Fieldhouse also has two sister companies in Just a Game Impressions and Just a Game Live. Just a Game Impressions specializes in customized screen printing and embroidery and promotional products. They serve businesses, schools, sports teams, and more. Just a Game Live takes pride in providing affordable and simple live streaming solutions for venues or programs of all kinds. Inquire today for more information. For more info on everything Just a Game has to offer, check them out at justagamefieldhouse.com. 
Sideline Interactive delivers digital and LED scoring tables and video boards that generate excitement in your gym and the ultimate game day experience for your players and fans. We provide you the blueprint and the game plan to generate $10,000 or more in sponsorship revenue every year. 95% of our schools generate enough advertising dollars during the first school year to pay for their purchase. Any school or college can qualify for no fee, no interest financing over two school years. We're ready and able to deliver your order to you within three to four weeks. The tables and boards can be used for any indoor sport, as well as watching game films, school assemblies, signing days, or any other event that is held in your gym. Visit sidelineinteractive.com or call 832-786-0302 to schedule a 15 to 30 minute live web demo to see our tables and boards in action and what these fantastic products can do for you. Or email sales at sidelineinteractive.com. A link to sidelineinteractive.com is in the show notes for today's episode. So guard work, taking guards into the post, is it something that you think is is a positive for guards to be able to go in the post or would you rather have separation between posts and wings? I would love, I love guards that could post up for two reasons. Cause I think it makes you more versatile. You're tough to guard, right? If you can, if you can post up, whether you're five, eight, five, nine, cause guards never, ever work on post defense. They're not taught. That's not what they do growing up. So post players are struggle playing post defense, let alone a guard. So if you got a guard who's really good in the post, they can eat down there all day. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times guards, and it's funny because guards come in, they naturally sometimes have post moves and then, you know, post players, they want to play outside. So it's, it's kind of funny how it works. But if you have a guard that can get busy down there, I, I, I love it. I think that's a huge advantage at any level. All right, let's switch the defensive side in the post then. Tell me about your philosophies with defending in the post and what you like to see from your post players. Again, you want to initiate contact. Um, I'm not a huge fan of fronting. I think that takes a lot of energy. Um, especially against a really good post player. And a lot of times they're going to get advantage. Now you're out of rebounding position, that sort of thing. So we're just working to make it a tough catch. Um, we, we preach three quarters in the post, right? Get a hand in the foot in the passing lane and try to tee up their shoulder, right? And uh, make it a tough catch and force them off the block. And then once they catch it, we're trying to take away their strength. You know, most players have a go-to move that they like every time. There's very few post players at any level, even NBA or WNBA that can really, really go over both shoulders, you know? with the same uh, effectiveness. So you got to take away their strength and try to make them do something they're no, less comfortable doing. All right, I want to reiterate what you just said because I think it's a huge teaching point that's lost. Tee up the shoulder, right? Get your get your chin basically on the shoulder, get your hands up so you can take away a passing angle. Now, when the pass is made in, you know, w- what's your positioning? What's your movement? You know, if, if there's a lob to, to the outside hand, what have you, and the post player catches it, what's your first reaction then off the tee up? So on the flight of the ball, we want to jump straight behind because we want to take away that. We don't want to give them an angle, right? So they can just quick turn the score. So we want now you got to score over me. So I'm on the flight of the ball. I'm gonna jump behind. I got my forearm in your back, and I'm trying to take away whichever shoulder you like. Um, and we do double because we're a little bit undersized this year. Um, so we we do double a lot in the post, and that's not ideal because you don't want to have to rotate. I prefer to be able to play straight up. You're gonna have to score over me. I'm gonna make you work. You got to earn it. And you know we're getting better at it. It's it's we we. This is something we've had to do every single day the last several months, and uh, we're still not there yet, but, you know, we are improving, and, uh, but it's a, it's a work in progress. Right. I think it was the Michigan game. You guys really doubled the post well this year you know, and gave yourself a chance to be in the game at the end. And I want to talk about that because most coaches are dealing, aren't dealing with the ideal size they want, you know, whether it's a youth coach, a high school coach. They're not recruiting to have particular size in their position, so they're working with what they have. 
So what do you prefer for where your double's coming from with the posts? And, and then we'll kind of go from there because this is a very complex, you know, item to be able to pull off. Yeah. So I think it, it we do a couple of different things. If we're in a zone, which we play a, like a, it's kind of like a two, three, it just has different principles, but uh, that strong side guard, the top guard is going to come. And then a lot of times in man, we'll designate a doubler depending on the personnel versus uh, doubling off the weakest shooter. So she could be strong side, she could be weak side. It just depends on where they are. But we like to okay, make someone else make shots to beat us. Um, with that, we feel most confident doing that because if she's shooting shots, we'll live with that. If she hits one or two, we'll adjust. But uh, we want to definitely come off. We, won't, we don't want to leave knockdown shooters. And then we can rotate. But the rotation, the rotation is key. The doubler has to get there quickly, right? But the rotation is key on those kickouts. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're talking about matchups, right? Knowing your personnel on the opposing team and, and playing the percentages of, hey, we're going to make this person who shoots 28% beat us rather than this post player who's, you know, 50% in the paint. All right. A couple of things I want to get out of here with. So when you're not watching your games or other Big Ten games scouting, what are you watching from a basketball standpoint, you know, for your entertainment, for your enjoyment? Well, I'm a big NBA fan. I'm a big Bucks fan. I'm a huge Giannis fan. I just respect him as a, he's a competitor. He, you know, he's an old school competitor. He doesn't want to be friends. You know, he shows he wears a sweatsuit. He's not looking for all that fashion, all that silliness coming to the game. He shows up and he balls, right? Regardless of who the opponent is, you know, he doesn't sit out of games. I, I just respect that about him, about a super. There's not a lot of superstars that don't take those days off. You know, you come to a city, you pay to see a guy, and then he doesn't show up. You know, you're going really most NBA fans will go to a game or a team is coming to a Pain to see LeBron, the pain to see, you know, Joel and B, whoever it is. And then those guys sit out because they're a little bit tired. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of that. I understand it. It's a long season. It's a grind. But, you know, I just respect how Giannis goes about his business. Okay. But I'm a big NBA fan, huge NBA fan. And I'm excited about some of the trades that possibly may happen today. Yeah. If they You're going to be on Twitter all day checking all the load day. and see yeah. what's happening. <laughs> all right. So you, so you mentioned the competitiveness of Giannis there. So I'm curious when you're competing you know, whether it's in practice with your players or at your actual games, are you driven by the fear of losing that game or the joy of winning that game? That's a good question. I don't think you ever fear losing. I, I think as a competitor, you always go in believing you can win the game regardless of who the opponent is. Um, and if your team is prepared, if you feel like you've done a great job preparing your team, you feel confident. You know, sometimes you're going to be overmatched. That's going to happen. And, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, I always go in wanting to win and expect to win. So, so that joy of winning, even if you know the other team is the better team, so we're going to have to play perfect to beat them. But that feeling is amazing. You know, I, and if you get your kids to buy into that and understand that, and even if you're really, really talented, if you play still have that underdog mentality, um, those teams are very, very successful. So you just hit a keyword here, so I have to dive deeper confidence, right? Make sure you have the confidence going into it so you can enjoy the win. What do you do to teach confidence with your players? If they're going through a slump or whatever it may be, how, how do you teach them to lift them up? I get it's, it's a person by person situation, right? Every, every person has a different amount of confidence. Every person loses their confidence for different situations, different reasons, right? Could be off the court stuff, could be missing one layup, could be some kids don't care. They can miss 20 shots in a row and they're still confident. So you, you just, that's, that goes back to the relationship and knowing the player and understanding their, their habits and what causes them to maybe crack, you know, going in. And, and that takes time to understand, too. And that's why when you first get somewhere and 
we like this year with the whole new staff and whole new uh, taking on the program, we, we, we had to gain the trust of those players and get them to trust us. Because even if they lose confidence, if we're trying to get them up, we're trying to make them feel better, watch film, give them a highlight tape, you know, get in the gym extra with them, all those things to try to get their confidence back. It's not really going to matter if they don't trust you, you know, but there, there's so many different things you can do. And it just depends uh, case by case. So let's get out of here on a fun question, non-basketball related. If you could have one superhero power and obtain it, what would that be? And what would you do with it? That's that's a great question. I think I would be, you know, I don't know if you remember this show a long time ago. I think it was called Out of This World. And the girl could pause life. Like she could just literally pause life. So whenever there's like a bad situation or something's about to happen and you just need to maybe step away or, you know, try to um, prevent something bad from happening and the ability to pause life, I think I would use that for, for the greater good. You know, whether it's in my personal life or just in general. If I see something happen or, you know, an accident about to happen and you can pause it and prevent that from happening, I would I would go that route. Ooh, I like that because you could go the other way with it too. You could pause it and really soak in the moment and enjoy something, right? And enjoy an experience too. So you could go with that. Well, Coach Merritt, I want to give you an opportunity to plug the women's basketball program. My family, we've been coming all season. We love the progress that's been going on. Last weekend had a great crowd. Want to see that continue. So, so why should people come out and check you guys out? We're getting better. Our girls are competing. You know, whenever you take over a program, there's a lot of changes on both ends. And it's hard for girls. A lot of times, you know, they've been doing something for a couple of years, however long they've been playing for the former staff. Now they're learning a whole new system, a whole new way of life. And these girls have bought in. Um, it hasn't amounted to a ton of wins yet this year, but they're trying. They're giving their all. And we're going to continue to get better. You know, we're going to recruit as hard as we can, get some quality players and great character people in here for this program. And we're just going to continue to get better. We're, we're far from a finished product. Our girls are great kids, great kids. They're great advocates for the university. You know, they carry themselves amazing on and off the court. High, high ex academic kids, right? So they're doing everything they can, and they've been giving us everything they possibly can on and off the court. So, and, and they love when the fans come out. They, they get fired up about that. So, you know, they've, they've been nothing but amazing. We couldn't ask for a better group of kids. So we're excited about that. And, and they want to win. They, they really do. They want to win. They're giving it their all. And they're going to continue to work and get better to the end of the season. And even summer, they're going to keep working and get better and grow on and off the court. And they're just giving everything they can. All right, let's see where the last few games of the regular season go. Coach Merritt, thanks for coming on the Hoop Nerds. All right, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.